Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Fears of increased Russian attacks are are blanketing Ukraine on the eve of its Independence Day, and the U.S. State Department sent an urgent message to any Americans in Ukraine, get out now. Today is the six-month anniversary of the war beginning in Ukraine. It's also their Independence Day. Imagine having an Independence Day in your country when you're actually at threat of being overtaken. And losing your independence. And losing your independence. That's absolutely incredible. They've only been independent for 30-some years. And uh, President Zelensky saying, you know, don't, no gatherings, no nothing, because we're we're really concerned Russia's going to bombard us today and has something up their sleeve. But um, the war's been going on for six months, so we thought we'd check in on how things are going. Yeah, indeed. We'll be talking about the recently announced and utterly indefensible policy of taxpayer money being given away to forgive student loans later in the hour, so stay tuned for that. But first, Mike Lyons, military analyst. Mike served with various military organizations, both uh, domestically and throughout the world, throughout his career, served with uh, great distinction as a respected military analyst. Mike, how are you, sir? Hi, guys. Great to be back with you today. Thanks. You know, there are some developments in the last couple of days we could talk about, but let's go big picture. Six months in, where are we? Yeah, big picture. Uh, you know, it's kind of like going to boil the ocean down here quickly for you because it, it, you look at um, domains, you look at from a military perspective, a land, uh, air, sea, uh, cyber, and uh, let's say communication propaganda. Not a single one of those domains does Russia control. We thought six months ago this was going to be over. This illusion of a short war, a short battle, that that is taking place throughout history. Uh, six months now into this, Russia has not any control over any of those domains. Uh, in fact, it, it's stalemated in, in each and every one of them. And uh, and now we perceive to both sides, you know, really digging in. The winter is going to start. And now you're seeing things of, uh, of expansion with regard to what's, what's Europe going to do. You, you, I saw reports about European countries, possibly Poland, possibly Ukraine, helping them destroy Nord Stream pipelines. We're getting into economic, uh, you know, kind of statecraft with regard to sanctions that, that are going to exist on Russia. But, but to kind of, again, boil it down, uh, Russia did not expect to be where it is right now, six months on Ukraine Independence Day. They thought they have full control of Ukraine uh, well by this point. And I've heard reports that we, the West, uh, the NATO, whomever, uh, we're furnishing the Ukrainians with increasingly sophisticated weapon systems, accurate artillery to 50 miles. What should we know about that? We are, and all that is good. But what's happened, Russia has learned, finally, and they're starting to dig in. This is now taking the shape of, again, what we've seen wars in the past of, of trench warfare. And They've been able to protect themselves from from these weapon systems. It, it, it gives the Ukraine military at least uh, an advantage uh, that they don't have in numbers, that they'll never have in numbers. And this is why, from a war of attrition perspective, Russia could just grind this away. They could just grind this down and just keep this going until both sides are exhausted. Look how long World War One lasted, four years of basically this kind of thing. Um, you don't, I don't see Russia stopping right now. If they wanted to, they should stop, build a border, try to keep the land that they've, they've taken, which is why Ukraine would have to say that they've, they've been at a loss. 
but but again, from on the ground, from a conventional perspective, uh, Russia thought this was going to go a lot a lot better than it has. Uh, they still own now about one fifth of that landmass, but uh, and some highly uh, really areas of industrial strength that, uh, that will help Russia if they can keep it and maintain it. Yeah, so President Zelensky said, I think it was yesterday, very forcefully, that we will take back all that land, including Crimea, and we will not stop until we've accomplished that. Right. Um, what do you right. think of, the, of that? That's a pretty powerful statement. It is, and it's going to only take place with a regular warfare because they just don't have the conventional forces to run a 2,500-kilometer front, which is really what, what exists right now. Um, Russia does. They've got some capacity, and now they're even on the defense in some areas there. So um, the fact that they're bombing into Crimea ammo dumps, uh, we saw Russia now starting to store some ammunition at Depaparisa. That's that uh, nuclear power plant. They're going to use that as a way to try to protect and, and some of their military assets. But that's just the thing. Russia is not going to stop. Ukraine's not going to stop. The winter's coming. And, um, you know, we have to see what actually uh, Western Europe does. If they're going to cave, get weak at the knees when it comes to buying Russia oil and gas. Mm. Uh, if they keep making dumb decisions about the outsourcing their energy, then they have everything you know coming to them. Military analyst Mike Lyons on the line. Mike, the point you made about a war of attrition and Russia's advantage there is undeniable. But at the same time, uh, they they have already proven their lack of adequacy as a fighting force, the lack of discipline and training right. and equipment among their people. Um, what's Russia's next step if indeed this war grinds on for another God knows how long? Right. They've proven real incompetence on the ground, their inability to take care and manage their, their troop levels and, and their soldiers. The leadership is awful. Uh, they, they can't uh, keep morale in the units. But what they have is artillery, and artillery is called king of battle for a reason, and that artillery is going to hold off any Ukrainian attempts to kind of claw back any of some of this land there because uh, they outgun them likely 10 to 1. Now, well, we've given them missile systems and things that are highly accurate, um, there's a principle of war called mass that still Russia still owns in this case because of the size of its country. So um, they're 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 going to use that to their advantage. They're not going to run out of ammunition anytime soon. Uh, they'll likely start conscripting more troops to be thrown into the fodder. Uh, we saw from from March they conscripted some. Would likely see them start to come uh, in the next couple of months as uh, as both sides just really really dig in at this point. It's going to be. I, I think you're going to see more like a World War One trench warfare. Yeah, you need, I look at these daily battle reports, and they, they literally move feet and yards at a time. They're not taking any large cities. There's no major offensive operations taking place. It's, it's now coming down to trench warfare. Man, that's uh, that sounds ugly. What, what's your uh, this is opinion stuff? What's your opinion on are we giving Ukraine enough stuff fast enough? I think so. Um, and the more you know, billions of dollars on the way there. I think we're doing all we can, but we can't give them what they really need, and that's an army. We can't give them the man and material and, and, and that, that goes with it. Um, I know folks that are flying over there helping them with training, virtual reality training. Every single, every single what's, called, what's called battlefield accelerant is being put there. But, uh, but to quote you know, the old Roman legions, until you're willing to put your, your people in the mud, nothing's really going to happen. So what, what they need is an army. They need 250,000 troops. Uh, they need that level of manpower. We can throw all the technology at them is a combat multiplier but um but from their perspective they, they're just short on, on people and that's really where this russia does have the advantage and that's where this war of attrition will just potentially grind them out still 
Final uh, question for me, Mike, and it's kind of a personal request. Uh, amidst my life of the endless consumption of dreary, endless, depressing news articles, I've rededicated myself to reading books. Uh, do you have a favorite book about a particular military conflict or war or, or military conflict in general uh, that you think the, the folks would find enjoyable or, or edifying? Oh, boy, great question. I, I've got a lot of them. One that uh, I'd imagine, yeah. Right away. Yeah, I, I am, I'm, I'm actually listening to one right now called the, you know, the, the Battle of War. And I, one that comes to mind that it, to me is that it's called The Heights of Courage. It's by a guy named Avador Kahalani. And it's about uh, the Israeli conflicts uh, in the 70s and, and what took place in the Israeli army and what they did to, from, from their technology perspective to overcome the numerically superior Arab force they were fighting. Um, all of the things that go into small unit tactics. I, I, I'm a small unit tactics guy. I command on the ground at the lowest level. And while well, I have lots of general officer friends that, you know, that kind of sat in the talks and kind of watched things go. And I was in the execution phase of the army when, when I was doing it. And so when I, when I read that book, I just, you know, got you, it gets you inside the tank. It gets you inside those firing mechanisms and the decisions that had to be made in split seconds and the amount of courage it took from the Israeli army to, to defend, uh, especially on the Golan Heights there. So that, that's one of my favorites, The Heights of Courage. It's an old book, but it's really it's really worth history. And, and I think so many things today actually go back to it. I think Ukraine is, is very similar to those Arab-Israeli wars in the 70s based on uh, the surprise attack aspect of it, based on being outnumbered by a numerically superior force, but using technology in order to try to overcome that uh, that disadvantage. Terrific. Great stuff. Mike Lyons, military analyst. Mike, we appreciate it so much. Thanks. Great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that's good stuff. I hadn't heard anybody say that, but it makes a lot of sense. If you're gonna if you're gonna try to draw comparisons, you know, stay away from World War One or two or various places and go with the Arab Israeli conflict. Massively outnumbered. Uh, surrounded. Surrounded, yeah. Yeah, interesting. What a great recommendation from Mike. And uh, if you're driving or, or have uh, memory problems or whatever, we'll post that, that title and author for you at armstrongandgetty.com. Give us a few minutes. So you want to be mad? The details of the uh, Biden administration plan to forgive student loan debt. The details are out, and we'll get into those for you. If you decided today to drive a nail into your own thumb, it would be more defensible than this policy. <laughs> Which seems to be obviously clearly illegal. B- among other things. Among other things. So stay tuned for all that on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The plan would cost 300 to $980 billion over 10 years, according to the Penn Wharton business model, which also calculates that 70% of the relief will go to the top 60% of income earners. Senator Tom Cotton tweets, Biden is telling every college in America to raise tuition by $10,000. You cannot add that to the debt at a time where the debt is at near record levels and inflation is a huge problem, and this will make both of those problems worse. You know, I don't even know if you can get me into the conversation conversation of how much it costs or whether it won't will or won't raise inflation those are no, very important no yeah those are very important but to me it's just god and i'm the, the you know the the last sort of person that generally talks about fairness but it's the fairness aspect of you're really going to we're talking about the biden 
student loan relief plan. The details are out. We'll get into the details in just a second. But you're talking about making people who chose to not take out student loans, either didn't go to college or went to a cheaper college or worked their way through college or whatever, to pay or already paid off their or already paid off their loans. And you're asking those people to pay off other people who, of their own free will, decided to take on that loan debt. It's the least progressive thing we've ever done in this country that I'm aware of. It's it's just, it's incredible. Yeah, it is immoral. It is illegal. It's terrible economically. It's, it's, it's awful. In short, it stinks. And I, I doubt whether it'll get past the courts. I don't know, but... Uh, Biden planning to take executive action. We could stop right there. How the hell is the forgiveness of private debts uh, practicable by executive action? That's insane. Anyway, taking executive action to forgive $10,000 or more in federal student loan debts for tens of millions of Americans, uh, says the Wall Street Journal, move that would provide unprecedented relief for borrowers, but is certain to draw political and legal challenges. Yeah, well, I appreciate uh, this person from Politico uh, tweeting out with a with a link. Remember this 2021 U.S. Government Department of Education legal legal memo on why the president does not have the authority to execute broad based student loan forgiveness. I have yet to see the Biden administration explain why this particular memo is wrong or how they're going to get around it. Politico is saying that. So you get ten thousand your dollars, ten thousand dollars of your debt wiped off the books as long as you make under one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year, which is a considerable sum for most people in their twenties who are most acutely affected by student loans. So it's virtually everybody. It's it's the, the vast majority of the forty million people with student loan debt, and if you got a Pell grant. It would likely push the number higher as around 7 in 10 borrowers with any federal loans also received a Pell Grant. Pell Grant recipients have uh, will get up to $20,000 a year uh, forgiven somehow to be paid for by the aforementioned unfortunate practical people who didn't take on these loans. And by the way, part of this is they're extending the you don't have to pay for your loan for everybody to the end of the year. <laughs> so that continues. Well, based on the high unemployment. Wait, what? And my my particular gripe with this, I mean, there are so many good ones before you get to, it may be inflationary, as Jack pointed out. How about the fact that the giant, corrupt, bloated, unholy university system is now not only granted a reprieve from ever reforming itself and, and not ripping people off anymore, but it will perpetuate it and has no answer for what about kids who enroll in three years? Do they have to pay their loans? They're taking out the same sort of loans for the same sort of ungodly, bloated expense. Nothing's being done. It's it's like, you know, if, if there's somebody defrauding people's investments, for instance, and the federal government said, yeah, yeah, you know what? We'll give you $10,000 each. You lost like $50,000 on those investments, but we'll give you $10,000 each. And you're thinking, well, are you going to prosecute the Ponzi scheme guy? And they're like, nah, don't worry about it. God, this is this is unholy. 
Opinion piece in Newsweek today, Charles Stallworth writes, How much of an elitist do you have to be to not give a damn about the cruelty of demanding that blue-collar workers who didn't go to college chip in and pay off student loans that they didn't take out? Yeah, I know it's absolutely amazing. People who go to college have the lowest unemployment rate in the country, always, and have the best prospects, obviously, for employment. That's the crowd that's going to get bailed out by taxpayers? What? That's why um, somebody from the uh, the guy who runs the NAACP said President Biden's decision on student debt cannot become the latest example of a policy that has left black people, especially black women, behind. This is not how you treat black voters who turned out in record numbers. So the affluent little girl from Fairfax, Virginia, who got a degree in queer studies, the government's going to bail her out at the expense of the janitor who cleaned up the bathrooms she used there at Georgetown. And she is probably a progressive. That's right. And how is this progressive? Yeah. I know. I, I live in an expensive college town where it's very expensive to go to college, and there's a lot of people with really fancy, expensive cars. I mean, if you see a McLaren or a Lamborghini the other day, honestly, these are cars you see in the town, driven by college students. They're college students in the town, and those kind of people are going to get their loans forgiven? And they're going to be paid by the guy who changes their tires. Yeah. Or who parked the car at the restaurant. Right, yeah. The Mater D, or the uh, the what you call it, the uh, valet who parks the cars of the rich students is going to pay. We have some more excellent commentary on this from some smart people on why this is so horrible. And tell us what you think. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The administration justifies forgiving or pausing loan repayments because of the pandemic. And a departing Dr. Fauci says the pandemic isn't over. I decided to stay a year thinking, Neil, that COVID would be done with a year from that time. And it turns out that was not the case. So the the student loan forgiveness is tied to the pandemic somehow? How? Why? What's the stretch on that? I mean, that was the original reason for you didn't have to make your student loan monthly payment. They've extended that today to the end of the year, and it keeps getting extended. There's no real reason to think that's the actual end date, because so far it keeps getting extended. But so then almost three years into the pandemic, which is having, I don't know what effect it's happening on people. We've got the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. How do you make the argument with the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years that the people with an even lower unemployment rate, college graduates, don't need to make the student loan debt payment? Here's the argument. We're bribing our core. We're giving money. We're giving taxpayer money to our core. That's it. That's the only argument. So here's the big question, and I got more details I want to get into, but here's the big question to me. This is the this is where the rubber meets the road. Is whether or not the rest of America, who either didn't take out a student loan, didn't go to college, paid theirs off, whatever, says F you to this. Or if the taxpaying population is just so checked out that they don't get it or care. 
Because if it's the latter, we're we are seriously doomed. I think we're probably doomed anyway. But yeah, I think this is a great test of that very question, Jack. I think you're right. It, it is so egregious. And uh, and again, I, I say this with great sincerity. It is almost certainly illegal, and I have a feeling it will be held up in the courts. I mean, the Biden administration itself has stated repeatedly that it's not doable. Did they launch this knowing it's illegal, do you think? Well, see, that's the thing. We live in the era of performative politics and where you go ahead and do something you know to be unconstitutional because you'll get credit from your base for trying and, you know, double whammy, double bonus. You can say in the mean, mean, fascist Republican judges shot it down. So, yeah, they'll do it even if they know it's undoable. But, I mean, as policy, it, it fails every single test, moral, economic uh, 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 you know, practical politics. It's just, it's awful. So, as you said, if something this egregious and indefensible just kind of floats by the American people unnoticed and unprotested, well, then, yeah, we're screwed. Uh, a guy named Matt Walsh commented, and I thought this was very well summed up. There is no such thing as student loan forgiveness. There is only student loan transferal, where the debt is transferred from the person who took out the loan to someone else who did not take out the loan. Mm-hmm. I like that very simple statement of what is happening there. By the way, the Penn School of Business, Wharton School of Business report that came out that said it will cost about $330 billion to cancel $10,000 in student loan debt. That's an average of $2,100 per taxpayer. So enjoy that for uh, you and your wife. Maybe your tax-paying adult children or whatever your situation is. Yeah, the uh, the affluent college student who's driving a BMW will have that money paid by the guy who cleans it at the car wash. I like That's this. That's fair. That's progressive. I like this one, too. Yes, Pelosi said the president doesn't have the authority to cancel student loan debt. But you have to understand, that was when we, she wanted people to shut up about it. Nancy Pelosi actually fought off her left wing a couple of years back, if you'll remember, when she got up there at the podium and said... The president doesn't have the authority to do that. Trying to fight off the Bernies and the Elizabeth Warrens, but apparently the president's going to do it now. So here's some Charles C.W. Cook from National Review. These are some great tweets here. It's tied to nothing useful whatsoever. No reforms, no reconsiderations, no reflections on or reevaluations of the role or return of higher education. It's a one-shot jubilee demanded by the well-connected for their own benefit. It's indefensible in every conceivable way. It's illegal. It's immoral. It's arbitrary. It makes inflation, the biggest issue we currently face, worse. It sends other people's cash to the group with the lowest unemployment rate and the brightest prospects. And points out again that the Department of Education last year said the executive does not have statutory authority to provide blanket or mass cancellation, compromise, discharge of or forgiveness of student loan principal balances and or to materially modify the repayment amounts of terms thereof. And I can't words, under I can't imagine under what authority he could. So well that's now I'm starting to think they absolutely one thousand percent know it's gonna get shot down maybe by this afternoon. It's purely a gesture. Yeah. Do you think it's purely a gesture or did they think they could slip one by the goalie? Uh that's a difficult question to answer. I mean uh, that's a long and complicated answer. Could be either, could be, you know, we'll get credit for it in our base, and what the hell, who knows, maybe we can find some judge. Um, uh, but it, it's... It is extremely troubling 
to me that the chief executive of the United States of America would do something that he knows to be unconstitutional, hoping for the courts to knock it down and gaining that double victory, double political victory I was describing. I mean, that's awful. That is that is calling your mother a whore that is just it's unforgivable and and unrecoverable from if that becomes a common thing and it's been happening more and more too um we need to have a, a quick word from our friends at simply safe but our our good friend tim sandifer of the goldwater institute wrote a piece recently uh, entitled Debt and Demagoguery, the founders knew from history that forgiving individual, individual debts could lead to tyranny. Mm. The why and how of it is really, really interesting. I apparently am not cynical enough. Joe has been saying for a long time that he thought this would actually happen someday, this student loan forgiveness, and I didn't think it would. I really didn't. Th- I thought, no, nobody's going to go that far. That's too far. People will not put up with that. I mean, that's so not progressive. How could it po- And it's happening. Watch it's me. Just- it's so naked a scheme. That's the amazing part, which is why I say if Americans don't uh, just, just and, if there isn't an enormous backlash, we're done. And I want to hear this uh, Founding Fathers stuff, but how, it, it kind of reminds me of the, 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 the raid on Mar-a-Lago that may have, they want to stop Trump. That might be, that might get Trump elected. It did the opposite of what they thought. And then this thing play into the base to help us win the midterms. You may have, sealed the deal on every last working class voter in America never voting Democrat again. Which was already the trend. I mean, the hot, hot trend. You know, and I'd say the Democratic Party has crippled itself forever, except that the Republicans, when they get power, will perform so badly, eventually the Democrats will uh, have a comeback. It's inevitable. But so this this piece on debt and demagoguery by Tim Sandifer is so good. He points out that the Federalist Papers are, are quite dry and scholarly. But there is one exception. In the middle of the book's most famous essay, Federalist Number 10, James Madison, the father of the Constitution, briefly drops his tone of political neutrality in order to call three kinds of laws downright wicked. And one of the laws... Um, is laws for an abolition of debts. He explains there the type of laws the, pro- the proposed Constitution is designed to prevent. Then he goes into the, the current politics of the day and, and what was being uh, requested. But uh, then he goes into a number of examples in the history of Greece, Rome, and other societies where demagogues promised to eliminate the people's debts in exchange for the power of dictatorship. These experiences, writes historian Kelsey Sagstetter, prove that, quote, debt cancellation and tyrants tyrants go hand in hand. Let me flip to uh, one more part. Plato observed in the Republic that one of the key techniques for destroying political liberty is for popular leaders to, quote, grant people, I'm sorry, grant freedom from debts and distribute land to the people. And history bears him out. And they have a bunch of examples through history. Uh, generations later, Rome's would-be demagogues use the same, same technique to gain influence. The, the summary cancellation of debts is a tool as old as time to subvert good governance. It's an old, old trick. 
but it's not been tried in the U.S., except in super complex tax law is written by Wall Street um, for Wall Street. But this sort of thing, it's not like this is a new maneuver. This is old and horrible. Yeah, but what's interesting about that, because I remember reading this the last time this subject burbled up, um, is that there there's history to show that it's a bad idea, that the, that the, that the, the backlash is so strong. But I guess everybody just thinks short term, this will work for now. Yeah, I think it is the most cynical and short term political maneuver I may have ever witnessed. Wow. Yeah. Your point about permanently driving away working America from the Democratic Party, I think is, well, not permanently, like I said myself, but uh, for the long term. I mean, if the, if the Republicans for once in their godforsaken tenure, their careers can get the messaging right. And right. communicate effectively to average Americans what's so awful about this, it will be enormously powerful. Well, and the NAACP hates it, so you know you you appeal to the right mm. crowds. You could you could really change some uh, some uh, demographics in both the parties. Uh, will one, they be able to bark at the NAACP uh, until they're silent? I don't know. Will the other progressive uh, chorus members uh, pull that off? One quick text: We got tons in this same vein. As someone who sacrificed and prioritized for 10 years to pay off my student loan debt, I feel that Biden's forgiveness is the last straw. I'm done doing the right thing. Apparently, I've been doing it wrong this whole time. I've said that before over the years. Like, am I the sucker for not taking advantage of the school lunch program since they don't check anybody's income or anything like that? Should I mm-hmm. be doing that, too, or similar with this? Should Should I have taken out big loans to go to the cooler college so that uh, somebody else could pay for it someday? Maybe I'm the sucker. It reminds me of the, the time-honored discussion we've had so many times about rent-seeking, which is a fancy economic term for begging the government. Are you better off uh, investing wisely, building a career, busting your butt to pay off your loans, or are you better off begging the government? Which is the more productive expenditure of your time? If you have a society where the answer is the second one, you are absolutely doomed. And you're you're, you're Sovietizing yourself, but... Boy, I can't wait to see how the courts rule on this. If you're pro this, I wouldn't mind hearing from you. If you think it's a good idea and can explain in a couple lines, text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Pelosi was driving his Porsche when he slammed into a Jeep. Both he and the other driver suffered minor injuries. Pelosi initially refused a breathalyzer test, but even two hours later, his blood alcohol level was .082, which is above the legal limit. When Pelosi handed CHP his driver's license, he also gave them an 1199 foundation card. 1199 is the California Highway Patrol charity. Ah, well, that could have been a mistake. So, um, no, it wasn't. You don't think? Um, no, I would think please. your name on the driver's license would have been all that you needed to hand to anybody. Pelosi, yeah, as in Nancy Pelosi's husband. That's who I am. Anyway, have you seen the video? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is he so unsteady at 
I must have seen a different Jeez. video. It was just the, the one I saw was just mundane. So he's swaying a bit, huh? Oh, the one I didn't see was he's leaning on the car and then he tried to stand up and he'd sway and he'd put his hands back on the car and the policeman would say, you have, you have to have to do it without leaning on the car. Ah. Like, how are you pointing? Does your husband drink? I mean, come on. Yeah, no kidding. Learn to drink, son. <laughs> Remember, I was just like blocks from there at the very same time. I could have been killed. No, easily. Yeah. This is not completely fair. Uh, moments, the moment Paul Pelosi attempts to balance after crashing his $100,000 Porsche. Well, somebody ran into him. He was barely buzzed over the legal limit, and you shouldn't do that, but somebody backed into him. So Mm -hmm. it's not exactly like he was, you know, flying through the streets at 100 miles an hour and hit a tree or something. (laughs) Anyway, so if he he attempted that, so that's close to attempting to bribe somebody, right? No, no. No, it's it's a pathetic attempt to say, oh, you donate to our charity. Well, never mind. But do you, do you think, speaking of are we a good country or not a good country, which is always coming up, you think there's a chance in hell that the spouse of the third most powerful person in practically any other country on Earth good morning. would he get arrested for a DUI in that situation? Uh, 25 years ago, absolutely not. He would have gotten off scot-free. Well, even in this country, yeah. But yeah. in other countries around the world, oh. no way. No way that happens. No. There's much more accountability these days, yeah. which is a good thing, I think. Unless um, I get pulled over, then, you know, hey, I love your show. I love the work you do. Eh, you know. <laughs> uh, a couple of texts or, or stories that I've got for you. This is this is when parents are mad that two school bus drivers have been, speaking of dr- driving drunk, two school bus drivers charged with DUI in the same Georgia County a couple of days apart. Oh, boy. Two! It's uh, parents are demanding the district do better. What? Better than having two school bus drivers caught driving the school bus drunk within days of each other. You're kind of nitpicking here. (laughs) What, you want sober people driving your children in giant buses that have no seatbelts? Do better than that. Okay. Wow. Um, On the other hand, school bus drivers these days, I mean, if the the classroom teacher has no authority to deal with discipline problems, what's it like on school buses? Are you a school bus driver? Email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. I I rode the school bus every single day up until uh, eighth grade. So a lot of time on the school bus. And it depended on the driver. Sometimes it was Lord of the Flies. I mean, swear to God, it was brutal. It was brutal. Mm. Um, and frightening. And Wow, Jiminy. But most of the time, not. No, it was pretty orderly. I, I rode the school bus for middle school and high school until uh, finally late in our careers. My sister and I got to use our crappy former car that my parents drove and actually got to drive for like the last year. I saw a number of people. So getting, luxurious. I saw a number of people get beaten up really good on school buses with, really? with nobody having any interest in doing anything about it. It was just Lord of the Flies, man. Jiminy, you went to school in some tough places. <laughs> it was just the way it was. A um, couple of different things for you. This is a good one if you're a dog lover. A dog's eyes well up with tears of happiness when reunited with its owner, according to new research. Wow. And they think that helps with the bond between dogs and adults. Hmm. If a dog hasn't seen you for a while, when you walk in the door, their their eyes tear up with uh, joy, and it kind of helps the whole bond you got going there. Them showing how happy they are to see you, and you're happy to see them, I presume, unless they pooped on the carpet. Then you're not as happy to see them. 
No. That uh, haughty Finnish prime minister who was dancing around way too sexy for a head of state, in my opinion. Oh, listen to the misogyny. I don't know. Is it? I I don't want um, uh, Boris Johnson, you know, grinding it out there oh, either. It's not nobody a wants thing. that. Uh, Mrs. Is, Johnson doesn't want that. It's just not leader of a country behavior. Never do that again. Anyway, she tested negative in a drug test that she took after people were claiming she was on cocaine. So she went ahead and had her blood tested and she's fine. Did you see one of the party pics that was taken at that party? It's two of her buddies with their shirts up and a sign that said Finland, Finland covering their hooters in the party pic. That's an interesting thing to do when you're a head of state. I'd say party in Finland. I, I, I get a vacation there. If you miss an hour of the show, you can grab it in podcast form. You don't actually have to listen to all four hours. And yes, there are four hours if you didn't know that. Oh, so much work. It's Armstrong and Getty On Demand. The Armstrong and Getty Show. A third of students now spend less than five hours a week studying. And when they do, it's for their onerous magnum cum bullshit course load of sports marketing, history through Twitter. <laughs> Advanced racist spotting, intro to microaggressions, and you owe me an apology 101. (laughs) Advanced racist spotting. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. That is good. That's Bill Maher uh, mocking a lot of college education just in general before you get even into the whole idea of paying off some of the debt for people who chose to do that. You know, you can choose to go to college or not, and then you can choose which college to go to. I went to cheap colleges, specifically because they were cheap. That's the only reason I went there, It was that they were cheaper than the other ones. Lots of people do that. I've always been amused by this idea that um, uh, people choose these things. Uh, what would be a good example of it? Like somebody I knew who preferred expensive wine. Yeah! Everybody prefers expensive wine. We're not choosing this because we like it better. It's cheaper. Yeah. Uh, every yeah. every cheaper college in kind of a no-name town in America, those kids are almost entirely going there. Maybe their parents live there, so they get to live at home. Other than that, they're almost entirely going there because the other place was more expensive. So it's a choice of which college to go for, and now we're going to forgive the debt. I just, we got more Bill Maher to play this pretty funny, but I came across this guy from the Cato Institute talking about this proposal that's out with Biden going to, well, the taxpayers going to at at his request. Well, and I would point out that the fact that we and Bill Maher and the Cato Institute and others all agree from every point in the political spectrum, this is awful policy. That's enough to get your attention. Biden's $10,000 student loan forgiveness won't only be unpopular among the 86.5% of Americans without student loan debt, how about that number? Damn near 90% of Americans don't have student loan debt. So you aren't buying those people off. Probably maybe some of the parents. Yeah, I suppose. But not even all the parents. Well, uh, no, and it's a thumb in the eye of those paying the bill. This guy from Cato says it will unlikely be unpopular with those receiving the forgiveness. That's because so many debt holders need way more than $10,000. If you have $100,000 in debt, $10,000 is a relative drop in the bucket. Indeed, the small size only reminds you just how much more you need. That can breed deeper unhappiness and resentment. And that's not just a theory. There is a Harvard study in which people in poverty were given either zero, 
$500 or $2,000 cash. Half a year later, the more the money received, the more unhappy the people reported being. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. One of uh, uh, friends of Armstrong and Getty, good thinker and a personal friend, has been texting me, said, I'm reading comments on a thread about the Biden plan, and the overwhelming response from the lefties is that the amounts are way too small. Right. Because people have so much more school loan debt than he wants to forgive. So even his pandering isn't being accepted well by those he's pandering to. Yeah, so this guy, Cato, sums it up this way then. So Biden is about to go out on a political limb that is overwhelmingly unpopular with most Americans, falls short of the demands of student loan forgiveness activists, and could leave those who are getting the money worse off. As a political matter, it's insane. Wow. As an economic matter, as a moral matter, as a governance, governance matter, it's it's insane. But how hilarious is, is that? That the tiny percentage of people that are going to get the money, a lot of them are going to be madder than they were if you gave them nothing. Yeah. <laughs> is, wow. This is one of the worst moves in history. I think so. I, it'll be interesting to see it take shape, the backlash. I have a quick legal thought on it, uh, but I want to get to a little more Bill Maher. We do. Uh, let's uh, start with 33, Michael. Liberals see more school the way Republicans see tax cuts, as the answer to everything. We imagine going to college is the way to fight income inequality, but actually it does the reverse. If you have a bachelor's degree, you make about 65% more than someone who doesn't. And with a master's degree, it's more like 100% more. And the unemployment rate of college grads is about half what it is for high school grads. I know free college is a left-wing thing, but... Is it really liberal for someone who doesn't go to college and makes less money to pay for people who do go and make more? I hope that question is being asked by the most of the 90% of Americans who don't have student loan debt. I hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether it's uh, paying for college or, or paying off the debt, it's the same principle. More Bill Maher. And because it's so necessary, colleges can charge whatever they want. Since 1985, the average cost of college has risen 500%. What are the business? It doubles every nine years. Every year it increases at four times the rate of inflation. And yet no one knows how to change a tire. You know, uh, I'm going to have angry and harsh words with our executive producer, Mike Hansen, who's actually fantastic. But we left out the beginning of the, the segment in which he said, you know what college is? It is an incredibly it's expensive scam, essentially, to get a piece of paper that is your ticket to the upper middle class. Right. Yeah, it's not that that's you know, that's an excellent point that should be made all the time. And then we should look at that as a country and figure it out. So we've decided it's not the knowledge because very seldom, you know, in, sp- in specific sciences and stuff like that, obviously it is law. You get a law degree and everything like that. But for, man, for, a, for a ton of people, it's merely the fact that you went to college. They're not hiring you for the knowledge you got at college. No. Which is interesting. Yeah. And then that's one of the criticisms of this student loan bailout idea is that it's going to put no pressure on any part of the whole thing to reform. Yeah, uh, that's the part that troubles me maybe the most, because the incredibly bloated and expensive state of America's university system, colleges, whatever, higher education in short, the only thing 
that's going to bring that around is pressure, pressure from those paying the bills, pressure from those who care. And all of these moves to relieve the pressure so they can continue to hire uh, associate deans of equity, inclusion, and community engagement to the point that there are more administrators than professors on college campuses in a lot of cases these days, which is mind-boggling. We've just relieved all the pressure to reform a horrible, perverted, bloated system. That might be the worst part of it. Your kids went through college during like the height of this madness, and uh, I had been assuming all along since my kids when we we were talking about this when my kids were babies, I thought, well, it'll be this will get corrected by the time they're college age. Well, now they're twelve and ten, seventh grade and fifth grade, and uh, this student loan forgiveness is not going to fix anything. If anything, it's going to oh, no. accelerate it. Oh yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Well, and and it's no accident that every damn one of those deans that I referred to, and professors, and staffers, and and you know college presidents, are going to vote Democrat. And so, if you were to announce, yeah, there needs to be enormous belt tightening because America's universities are now bloated, uh, you know, super expensive day camps for uh, for kids that then give them an incredibly expensive piece of paper, having learned practically nothing, and we've got to get hold of that. There would be a hue and cry. You would hear it from Harvard to USC, and all points in between. It would be a screech like a thousand souls were just silenced. A disturbance in the force. Obi-Wan would poo his pants at the screams across the universe. When you announce that. So you think it's an accident that they're going to postpone any meaningful reform by once again injecting the steroids of quote-unquote loan forgiveness? This is awful. Bill Maher on that topic. The answer isn't to make college free. The answer is to make it more unnecessary, which it is for most jobs. So that the two-thirds of Americans who either can't afford to or just don't want to go don't feel shut out. Because the system we have sets up this winner-loser dynamic and breeds resentment. Yeah, I've read all kinds of different pieces that the, the biggest dividing line, most easy, clear dividing line you have in America is people who went to college and people that didn't go to college. And it's not because of the knowledge that you're getting out of it. It's just your your ticket to that uh, different tier. And... um. Plus, it sure looks like at least the college town I live in looks like a really good time. It's weird we've structured life so that um, you do that, the retirement part <laughs> first, where you're just hanging out with your friends and, you know, at the coffee shop and having a good time and living in a cool place and all that sort of stuff. You take out a loan for it, but loans don't mean anything when you're 18 years old because you have no concept of time or money. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at, uh, out of curiosity, my alma mater, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Uh, they appear to have well over 10,000 employees. University of Sh- Illinois, Chicago uh, has more than 13,000 employees. Wow. Uh, 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 higher education is this enormous industry. It's an enormous industry where people make really, really good wages, and they only vote in one direction. And and the fact that you know there's so much public policy that just excuses their excesses is not a coincidence. And it's almost impossible to get fired. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Unless you dare speak out against the orthodoxy, then you'll be fired in a minute. I am going to be quite interested in how this story plays out throughout the day. Um, I mentioned that this. So the story's been around for what eighteen hours, 
and everything but Fox News presented it almost entirely as a clear positive. That's interesting. I mean, you must assume all your viewers are uh, college graduates with student loan debt, because if that stat is true that I just gave you from Cato, if 90% of Americans don't have any student loan debt, why are you presenting this story? It's clearly a great thing. Cause it's That's not, mind-blowing tone deafness. It's not clearly a great thing to most people, I don't think. I hope I'm right. Is there any category of people less capable of bringing you a clear picture of what's happening in the world than the American media elite? Yeah, no kidding. They're always reporting on their own lives. They're all young people with college loan debt that they think should be forgiven. Yeah. So it's good yeah. news for them. Well, I still predict giant backlash a coming. We'll see. I hope you're right. We're going to finish strong next. Is TikTok going to ruin the Internet? 